Hello, Spark Nation. I'm Jim Wyant, founder of ETF.com and CEO of Spark Network. And this is Pennies from Heaven, a podcast featuring choice insights and lively debate with all the biggest names in the ETF world and beyond. Join us to receive Pennies from Heaven straight from the nattering nabobs of investment as they discuss hot button topics and what's to come. Hi, everyone. This is Jim Wyant from Spark Network, and we are back with Crypto Roundtable. We've got Dave Nodig from ETF Flows. We've got Dave Abner from Gemini and Eric Balchunas from Bloomberg. And the latest story that I've been hearing and watching is that we're getting closer genuinely to having an ETF launch. And so the question is, based on everything that you know and what you've heard from the SEC, and what you can talk about, what do you think that ETF looks like? And when do you think that ETF launches? Is it, a, you know, like how broad is the launch going to be? Is it just going to be a futures based? So let's start with that and, and dive into it. I'll jump in first. I think the where, where we're at is like 51% chance we'll get approval for a futures based 40 act you know, Bitcoin futures ETF this year. I don't think it's going to be a barn burner of a success. So it'll get a couple hundred million dollars, I think, relatively quickly. I think there's enough pent up demand for that. But I don't think it's going to be billions and billions of dollars out of the gate because as a futures-based product, it's not going to really serve the sort of bridging and hedging function that it, a true sort of GLD for Bitcoin would. And my current guess is I don't actually see the path forward for a GLD of Bitcoin, like a truly physically held, although it feels weird to say that Bitcoin ETF. Um, the SEC has effectively said it's not going to happen on their watch until they do comprehensive crypto regulation. And I wouldn't be putting a bet on that happening, you know, before I turn 60. What do you say to all that, Dave Abner? Look, I think it's, it's sad to admit that Dave is probably right. I'm sad um, too. But I, I, I think a lot of this is all a bit of a red herring. What's interesting to me is the longer the SEC delays, the evolution of the crypto space is taking place at such a rapid pace. The value of a Bitcoin ETF or, or crypto ETFs in general just becomes less and less, right? Like, sure, there will always be investors that have an ETF portfolio, want to build a Bitcoin ETF into that portfolio. But if you think about what happened with the Ethereum futures products, where the SEC basically asked them to pull back, that to me is an indication, right? Like Bitcoin's, Bitcoin's becoming a smaller and smaller piece of the crypto sphere. And what investors really want is a bigger and broader investment into the crypto sphere. So if they're not even willing to entertain an Ethereum futures product, it's going to be forever. And it's so easy to go direct now into crypto and so secure and so institutionalized that it's just going to be, you know, like they've said, there'll be some money in there, but it's not going to be. What about the sort of log jams in the infrastructure, right? Like an, an obvious one, for example, is advisors it's not so easy for them to have crypto with their client portfolios, given their existing infrastructure. And I know there are different solutions for that, but that would be the first thing I would look at is, you know, different people have different levels of access. And as a retail investor, it's pretty easy for me to open up a Gemini account and buy 
some coins, but I'll pose this question to Eric. Do you think that there is, theoretically, if you launched like a physical Bitcoin ETF, which it sounds like we're not going to, do you think that there would be a huge demand for that? I remember I was surprised, for example, when the first fixed income ETFs came out, like the massive demand there. And you know, it was pretty easy to buy bonds, but like there was huge demand for that convenience. So Eric, what, what, what are your thoughts on that? Do you think you have that same kind of huge theoretical demand? Yeah, I'll take the other side of Dave's Abner's under on the demand. It's complex because a physically backed Bitcoin ETF, I think would have a high demand. I mean, GBTC, which is clearly a flawed product. I mean, no one wants to be in it and it's got 30 billion. Think about that. At 2%. We so got to point out. Yeah, at 2%. At, two, at a 2% fee. Even hedge funds are cheaper. If you can get 30 billion into that, I mean, I don't know what else I need to I just dropped the mic right there. Beyond that, the ones in Europe have become pretty popular. The ones in Canada, if you add up Canada, they've got, I believe, about 2 billion, which in US terms would be about 45, uh, 50 billion because our market's 27 times the size. Nadig's earlier point, um, I don't think the physicals are coming anytime soon, although Fidelity, Bloomberg had a scoop last night that they made the case to the SEC to don't do the futures, just let the physical, it's okay. I'm with them, but I just thought the SEC is not going to do it. I think that Gensler just is really hot for the 40 Act. And the only way to do it is through futures. So I do think we'll see them. I'm going to go ahead and say they're going to come out October 18th to 25th ish. Right. Yeah. At early Halloween present. So you think right, that's right on schedule, um, right? That's the end of those first 75 yes. day window. Here, here's my right? logic. You've been there the whole time. Based on everything Gensler said, he clearly is okay with that. He looks forward to it, even said, looking at the futures filings. But the Pro Funds Mutual Fund was released 77 days. And we think that the Pro shares will probably be first out after 75, 77 days, that puts it right on October 18th to 20th. They possibly might approve a couple at once, but I think the SEC might, one of their worries is like too many people coming in and it overwhelming the market. So my guess is they might just dribble them out. What's your sense of the process for who gets picked? I think it's just on timing. I think ProShares was first because now you're in 40 Act, it goes to that 75 day window. So I think it goes, that would be ProShares, Invesco, Valkyrie, I'm forgetting I, somebody, but something I still like think that. Valkyrie is the one that gets the nod because I think the, you know, everybody else has filed for futures. And by the way, we're going to buy Canada, right? Which like, that's their backdoor in, which even Kathy Wood has put that into their internet fund. Now they, they filed for that at least. It's all the rage. Um, I think because Valkyries is so clean, it's just US listed futures, period. I could see them just approving that one as a bit of a way to do what you're talking about, Eric, which is to dribble these out. And that sort of sets a scramble for everybody else to get out and gives that one product a chance to like not overwhelm the futures market, I guess, theoretically. The futures argument you made is a very astute one. The only, I would push back on two ways on that. One is, I think when he said, I look forward to seeing the futures ones, he just meant relative to physical, not, not he wasn't technically speaking that way. The other thing is the pro funds, mutual fund also has that language that they can use the yeah. ETFs. And I would also argue that if you're, worried about overwhelming the futures market, that release valve of using ETFs, if the futures becomes too, is probably, I mean, the SEC should be considering that being a good thing because then the ETF could buy the Canadian Bitcoin futures instead of overwhelming the futures market. 
um, you know, something USO could not do. But you could be right. I don't know. I, that'd be cool if Valkyrie gets, I mean, it's a, like an indie winning the race. It's yeah, like it's a, just, I mean, 40 to one winning the Kentucky Derby. It's kind of cool, but my money's on pro shares. And also I think they work with them on profile on the mutual fund. So I think the SEC is probably very comfortable that we work with them on the mutual fund. It seems to be working. Okay. I think that just, it's the, it's the, just seems like the most transitiony yeah. choice. I want Abner's opinion. Like there's another case here, which is they don't approve any of this stuff because they really are going back to the drawing board and are going to want to redefine what each one of these coins is, whether they're securities or not. And like the last couple of things Gensler said, yeah, I think which was yesterday, right? In the banking committee meeting seemed much more comprehensive in terms of how they're trying to look at crypto right now. He went through a pretty big laundry list of stuff. I mean, Dave, do you feel like there's some big set of regulation coming here that's going to reach way past ETFs? I do. And I think it's a good thing, right? The industry needs, wants and you know embraces regulation. People want clarity. That's what regulation does. I do think something like that is coming. Look, when I think about the ETF market for crypto, I get back to the same thing, right? Even if they approve a Bitcoin futures ETF, like what's your next rationale for not approving the Ethereum one? It's just a tremendously slippery slope. So I actually think the primary thing holding back any of these approvals is a broad set of regulation around the industry as, as a whole, because it's not the volume in crypto. It's not the legitimacy of custodians. It's just the fact that they are well aware that one leads to the next 50 and they're going to come quickly and they're going to have to have an answer. They can't just say arbitrary line. We're only doing Bitcoin. Well, so I, I think to, to you, if I'm the SEC, I think they're not totally down on Ethereum. I think they diss those because they didn't want to start to see filings for Doge and Litecoin and the media go crazy. And Well, that's right. But right, any approval will lead to a lot of like 10 lawyers in their offices being like, look, what's the difference? Right. Well, right? exactly. Well, they could say the Bitcoin futures market is much bigger. Ethereum futures are but much smaller. Are, you know the ETF industry way better than I do nowadays, but there are a lot of great ETFs with no futures on their underlying assets that have become great products with lower liquidity in the baskets and things like that, right? It should be a precursor for an ETF, actually. Yeah, I, I just think they didn't want to open Pandora's box with the filings, because yeah. it's like, oh, then the first person to put the Doge in, and it's going to get ridiculous. <laughs> but I, I do think they'll approve them down the road. The one other thing I will say to your point, Dave, is when you said I would take the under on Bitcoin futures ETFs assets. So when I was speaking about the demand, I think a real one, like a GLD Boom, would, would yeah. kill. I think there's just a lot of people who just, they just like the convenience and standardization of an yeah. ETF ticker, but a futures one, this is really hard to ballpark or handicap. Like how much demand will there be? Cause the pro funds, Bitcoin mutual fund, which by the way, they did approve. So there is some proof that they're okay approving it. It has an, almost no assets. And I'm not sure if that's the mutual fund aspect of it or the futures aspect. So I would probably estimate that futures bitcoin etfs would probably get a third of what a, oh, yeah. a physical like, would get so i would say less. maybe five maybe billion even less like i think yeah. it'll be a fraction but yeah. i think the irony is with the futures product the primary use is probably going to be create to lend right people are going to use it as a shorting vehicle more than anything else because they get the contango to help them out in that trade as well 
and that is something that to Dave's point, yeah, it's pretty easy to just like open up a Coinbase account and get long Bitcoin. It's significantly harder to put a real tactical short position on Bitcoin if you're a trader without jumping sort of offshore, without jumping to, you know, a, a non-US regulated US taxable investor account. So that's a place where I could see there being a lot of demand, but I, I'm with you. I think I would if maybe a tenth the demand. The question is on how big is the contango? I know you and I have talked about this. I've been, I try to write to the actual SEC in my notes by saying, listen, there's just no reason to use futures. It's an extra layer, extra cost. It's more hassle than it's worth for the 40 Act. That said, Mike McGlone, who uh, is our Bitcoin analyst, he claims that the, the contango will shrink greatly, which is what you said, Dave, which is once there's m- money coming in through the ETF, that contango, he thinks, will diminish to something more like coffee or corn, not like oil. But still, even if it's minimal, it could be 3 4% a year. That's a pretty big fee. Yeah, yeah, and it's, again, it's a, pretty good tailwind if you're shorting it. That's right. Honestly, like there'll be XIV of, of Bitcoin. That's not a bad product. That thing should grow. Well, then again, if Bitcoin goes on a tear, in a bear market, something like an anti-Bitcoin ETF could, could be very valuable. I don't know if they'd approve that anytime soon, but that's a good one. I'd file that right now. That's pretty smart. Yeah, actually. I mean, I don't know whether you could get away with it. But, you know, again, with the futures, like if, if you just launch like the Valkyrie plain vanilla futures ETF or create to lend, baby, all day long. I like to think about what's going to happen if we do get a, a nice, reasonably coherent set of regulations or at least steps in that direction. And, and what type of assets move over into the space in general, right? Like there's all sorts of really interesting things. Even if you think about gold, imagine if investors realized that they could buy a gold token that looks a lot like GLD, one-for-one holdings of gold, everything like that, but they could actually lend out that token and, and generate a yield of about 2 to 3% on their holdings. All of those, the, the $100 billion in gold ETPs that's sitting there as an inflation hedge, earning nothing and costing money that could be generating one and a half to 200 basis points in somebody's portfolio, just in a better structure. That actually is the way I thought about the ETF in the beginning, right? If we go back to like 2005, 2010, when we really started talking about investor portfolios with ETFs, we were like, hey, better mousetrap, right? Better tax efficiency, lower fees. It wasn't that you would necessarily get a different exposure, but it was a better way to get the exposure that you were getting today, right? Better than your mutual fund exposures for a variety of reasons, right? Transparency, fees, and tax efficiency. If you think about the future of crypto, right? Let's beyond just the Bitcoin ETF, but like, where are we going to be in five years when people realize it's really easy to hold tokenized exposures and there's so much other stuff they can do with it to improve their portfolio outcomes. I think that's a fascinating prospect. Well, I mean, I think the the impact that sort of DeFi in general, which is really what we're talking about, what, what token-based yeah. investing and trading lets you do, like that's just such a beautiful, expansive green field of possibility right now. Wisdom Trees filed for their Solana-based registrant of a 40-act treasury fund. I don't know whether that'll get approved. I don't know whether anybody will put any money in it, but it's like the first case where I've been like, aha, you could take a regulated product, tokenize it. And then if you had the regulatory room to do it, then do all the cool things you do in DeFi right now with this tokenized 40 act fund. That's super cool. But without a regulatory infrastructure, it's science fiction. Yeah. And I think, and the, 
another case for the ETF is that SEC stamp of approval. I think that makes a lot of people feel comfortable. And I think that's where Gensler is more comfortable giving that stamp with the 40 Act with all those protections. It just happens to be that the, there's a massive unintended consequence of that, which is extra costs and middlemen. Uh, but the, it, there is that that feeling of like, oh, the government approved this. It's okay. You know, I think a lot of advisors might be comfortable there, but I agree. You can get it on your own pretty easy. So, you know, sometimes people are like, there's no need for an ETF. I'm like, look, just let the people decide, you know, like you can have it this way, that way. There's, if you buy it direct. There's no need for chocolate ice cream too, but people still like that, you know, like. (laughs) There was an article they used to write for on the street.com and they'd be like, here's five ETFs to play Amazon earning beat. And I'm like, you could just buy Amazon. So sometimes I agree that ETFization is, is overdone. You just buy direct, it's fine. But I do think there's a market for it. We'll see how big, but. So if we go back to the handicapping, the last time we did this call, we were like 20 billion, 5 billion. Nadig was low. Nadig, you were like a billion or two or something. Yeah, you were really strangely low. I, I, yeah. I'm not, I don't know. Yeah, well, he's, look, like, he's looking spot on or maybe even high. <laughs> the consensus but we but those estimates were all predicated i assume on i was certainly thinking physical right not futures only oh yeah for sure i think we all were what does that do to your original prediction i would just throw all of them out listen dave you me and nate all said fall would be the approval yeah. Let's just not say we meant physical. So that way we can all just say, man, no, we nailed I that. I totally meant physical. And that, but this was before we saw the heel turn by Gensler, right? He just yeah, he sure. just came out, broke kayfabe, and turned into a villain overnight. We were right technically, but wrong exactly. spiritually. Like it, it, our, the spirit of the call was not right, but technically we're going to have nailed it. Nate said he was going to eat a dollar if they didn't approve it. So I'm like, I guess he'll eat like two quarters now. <laughs> we just have to swallow some quarters. I hope he uses dimes and nickels. Yeah. So, so Dave Abner, question for you. You're in the middle of the crypto world right now, and there are a million different things going on. Like it's so really, it, it reminds me of like early days in the ETF space when you could sort of see all these opportunities where there weren't funds and you could, I like just as a Joe Jim on the, you know, like I could see that'll be huge. That'll be huge. That'll be huge. And then it happened. So what are areas in crypto now that feel like that to you? You look at them and you're like, that's going to be huge. It's just a matter of time. It's just a matter of how it plays out, but that's right there. Look, I, I think you can never pick winners and losers. All credit to Kathy. I would have never picked ARC as a winner of the ETF space five years ago or seven years ago, right? So it's very hard to pick the winners and losers or what's going to be the zeitgeist. You do see... Kind of like gold, like you saw that, like before the... Look, places where investors or people will benefit is where crypto is going to shine, right? So now we're talking about NFT art and, and people are going, oh, it's a crazy bubble and things like, you know, madness may be going on. But the storage of digital sort of record is what's going to come from that. And it's going to be really valuable, right? Like, why do I get a paper deed for my house that I go to a bank and I put in a box so nobody can take so I can prove that I own my house, right? Like that type of stuff will all be digitized. 
and I've said this from the beginning, all of this stuff is going to move to digital rails, right? Faster, more efficient stock trading, for example. Investors won't know the difference. They don't know where their stocks are now, right? They're held on record in their Schwab account or their Robinhood account or wherever. They don't know the mechanics behind it. It's all going to be on digital rails. And that to me is going to be the biggest, like we almost can't even imagine what are going to be the use cases on top of that transition. And unfortunately, all of us are in the industry. So we think it's really happening quickly and everybody's talking about it, but that's only because everybody we talk to is talking about it. But the rest of the world, there's what, less than a million people in finance in the US. And then there's the rest of the world they're barely just starting to read about this stuff. So it's going to happen way slower, unfortunately, than we think or want it to happen. And that's what happened with ETFs as well, right? It was like 1999, I was calling the Bear Stearns HR department to get spiders in our 401k. And Bear Stearns was out of business and they still hadn't gotten that approved. You know, I'm sticking with it. If you guys aren't going to argue with me, I'm sticking with it. I agree with the core premise that the stuff moves to digital rails. A year ago, I was actually quite enthusiastic that this was going to be something that happened in a positive and constructive way. And that this was, you know, the internet in 1999 and we'd have a long dark night of the soul, but get through the other side and reinvent the world. I'm much less sanguine about it right now. I got to tell you, like the last couple of things, I wow. just the last couple of things I've heard from Gensler have just been so clearly in the mode of command and control orientation that I, I think it's just going to squash the U.S. ability to innovate here. We're going to get dragged into discussions of taxation and ownership and wash sales and you know, all deep down in the weeds here. And meanwhile, every other developed market in the world is going to beat us to the punch. Hmm. Hmm. I'm a believer, you know, we always come through in the end. Somebody, was, oh, somebody uh, will come through. I just uh, think it's going to be the United States. A large investment manager once said to me, I was like, look, here's a great new hot product. You got to get involved, right? And they were like, look, it's, it's not our job to be first. It's our job to be smart about it, right? And I think the U.S. is doing the same thing. The U.S. does not have to be the first regulator. And they're very astute and they're watching what happened in Canada and what's going on around the world. They're going to take steps. And when they make that move, that's going to drive a lot of other people as well. So I'm not actually worried about us missing the boat. I don't buy that. We're still the U.S., right? And uh, I believe in it. So I think we'll get there in the end. And I think we'll, we'll be able to develop a framework that works to a degree. I hope you're right. I genuinely hope you're right. I have a feeling there's going to be a hot city and it's probably going to be something more like Toronto or Frankfurt or somewhere that is not in the United States where all the great, you know, next gen, those startups we don't know about yet that really move this needle ahead are going to come somewhere outside the United States. Yes. And those are sort of one-offs, right? But if really what you see in the crypto space in particular is a lot of the very successful firms that started offshore are all scrambling to make sure they can fit within the U.S. regulations yeah. and fit. They know that once they we can come to terms with the U.S. regulators, this industry is going to be, the regulators see it, the, the, the providers see it, there's going to be a huge shift. What's interesting to me, I look at the ETF industry, and I do, Jim, you're right, I see a lot of parallels between the growth of the ETF industry and the growth of the crypto space in its evolutions. And if I look back at ETFs, I look at the 2008, the great financial crisis as a real catalyst for growth in the ETF sector, 
right? Money was in motion, first of all, right? It's hard to get money out of, out of mutual funds. Money moved because the markets went down. And when it came back, it did exactly what we thought was it started flowing into ETFs and that created the flywheel and it kept going. Well, I, I spend a lot of my time now trying to figure out, and it's, it's impossible, but you can have some ideas. What will be the event that causes that shift where crypto just becomes like, yeah, man, we need to get onto that infrastructure and we need to do it quickly. What's going to happen? Is it going to be another financial crisis? Is it going to be something else that we sort of can anticipate? I'd love to hear if you guys have any ideas. When you think of it after this event or down the road, do you see it as being yeah. used much more as a currency or just this store of value thing? That would alter my answer. It depends what we're talking about, right? I don't see Bitcoin as a currency at all. It's much more looks like a you know digital form of gold, a store of value, things like that. The transaction networks, uh, Ethereum, Solana now getting a lot more discussion because of its speed for transaction, things like that. Those are where we're going to start to see sort of new projects use as a vehicle for potentially spending and purchasing. And yeah. And like it's that. going to bridge from the existing way people have already voted how they want to use transaction services, right? Venmo is not going to go away, right? The cash app is not going to go away. Those are simply going to become second layer crypto transmission protocols, right? People are going to use those as a way of moving another second layer token back and forth, but it's all going to be denominated in, a, in, a, in some fiat currency, right? Ultimately, people are going to get paid and pay taxes in a fiat currency of their domain, that's still going to be what you use at the restaurant. I, I, I think it's a little real ridiculous to think we're going to start repricing the food at the restaurant in something that is not dollars and the dollar price is what's going to fluctuate and it's going to always be 22 Satoshis to buy a hamburger. I just don't see that world happen. Yes, except there are a lot of people now with digital wealth and they want to use it for different things, right? That's partially what's driving NFT is people generated a lot of wealth in the crypto space and they're using just crypto to buy NFTs, right? They're not going to fiat to you. And we, we're interacting with providers all the time who are saying, yeah, people can use dollars in our restaurant, in our, in our event space, whatever it is, but they also potentially want to use whatever other currency they may have on hand, right? I, I use Gemini dollar, right? I keep my money in Gemini dollar, as a, which is a stable coin with a great yield. I would much rather spend out of that directly out of that than have. But to it's go a stable coin. But it's a, but it's a yes. stable coin. It's a little bit like saying I'm Absolutely. paying with my credit card, so I'm not using dollars because it doesn't actually touch exactly. the Fed system, right? You're still yep. using yeah. dollars. You're just using a different system to move the notional dollars around. Correct, and I think that's yeah, the way totally people agree. are going to go. So, the only thing that I see, I would never doubt this sort of resilience of this space, but. I feel like it's a risk asset and I feel like what's going to happen is in a major sell-off, it's possible you have people fleeing crypto instead of running to it like they do to gold because it isn't 10,000 years old. And it was like this thing you bought because your core of your portfolio was doing so well, it became a, like a hot sauce plaything to put on top, sort of like ARK and theme ETFs. And normally those are the first things to go before you sell VTI. And it'd be interesting to see how that plays out.
again, I don't think of that as investors. Like even if you go back to the 2008 financial crisis, right? Like, and this was a little broader, but in general, people were people sold immediately in panic, but then they added to their portfolios. But a lot of the bigger sellers are those seeking immediate liquidity, right? Yeah, but aren't you talking about the ETF to uh, crypto metaphor break down a little bit because the one's a wrapper, one's the asset class. So I, I would agree with you completely. 2008 made ETFs, but gold was used, SPY was used, and LQD was used. So the, it was three asset classes and multiple more. It was the wrapper, I think, that shined. In crypto's case, I guess my question is whether it's ETF or otherwise, will it hedge? And if it doesn't provide that hedge in a real, like, two, one or two year long, down downturn um, that could hurt that one narrative. And if there's not the currency narrative, that's my only sort of dark cloud, but otherwise I'm pretty bullish. I, I think talking about crypto as an asset class is a mistake from first principles, right? Because it's a little bit like saying, well, what are securities? Securities aren't an asset class. They're a description of a way of expressing ownership and staking. And I think crypto is the same thing, right? There's a huge difference between the Tesla token trading at FTX and Bitcoin, right? They have, they're not the same asset class whatsoever. In that case, crypto is really is just the wrapper. And so things like Ethereum and Solana, they're just buying picks and shovels of a new ecosystem. I don't, I, thinking of them as currencies, it drives me nuts. I, I hear you. I think that's a fringe. The core of it, though, is largely Bitcoin, Ethereum, and it's being pitched as a store of value, and like a new gold. And all I'm saying is, if the core of it, the, where all the most of the money is, forget there's some of the little things like you said, like a Tesla token, but that core, if that's what people bought, thinking it would be sort of like a gold. And by the way, gold is no is not dependable as a hedge either. Um, that sometimes that goes down with equities too, but. I just wonder if it's really being bought because the price is going up and then it gets sold off first in a downturn or if it's being bought as something that, you know, that people want to put in as a long-term hedge. I, I don't know. Yeah. I think it's both, Eric, right? There are, there are investors who are investing based on price and those are probably easy hands to shake out when a liquidity event occurs. But what's really happening in the back, that's the headline news, right? And the news is always focused on a small select segment of the market. What they miss sometimes is the tremendous amount of brain power and money and effort going into the infrastructure play, which is the way Dave's talking about it, as like, you know, digital rails. And how do we progress the way we've interacted with each other and transacted you know, process transactions and do things like that. You know, Dave mentioned DeFi, right? Imagine what we thought about when you thought about Napster, right? Like that's basically what DeFi is, right? It's people lending and borrowing between each other without all those middlemen, right? That's a rail infrastructure, not uh, an asset. All right, everyone. I think Dave's got to go. It's great to see you all. We'll do another one of these on the other side of the ETF launch and see where we're at. 
So in October. October 18th, I hear. 25th. 25th. 19th. Yeah, I'm giving myself a week window, but that would be 75 days. Just saying. I I love it. I hope you're right. Great to see you guys. Cheers, everyone. Thanks, guys. See ya. Thanks for listening. Pennies from Heaven was produced by Spark Network, Jim Wyant, and Elizabeth Thompson. Our theme music is Pearl Charles's Take Your Time. You can find her music at pearlcharlesmusic.bandcamp.com. For more episodes, find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and sparknetwork.com. Music